Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I am Michael Koplo, Israel Policy Forum's Policy Director, and I am delighted today not only to be taking over the podcast, but to be joined by my illustrious colleague, Aaron Weinberg, Israel Policy Forum's Director of Government Relations. How are you doing, Aaron? Shalom. I'm doing well, Michael. I just had to get that shalom in there for the sake of the pod. I think my shalom was better than yours. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Remember when they used to compete about the different shaloms? Those were the days. That's true. So I, I guess I guess we don't want to replicate that, but I'm, I'm just yeah. going to leave that the record. My, my shalom was better. Yeah. Fair. So, Aaron, um, this has been a momentous couple of days in Congress when it comes to funding for Israel's security assistance. So uh, for all of our guests to perhaps... We're out celebrating Sukkot, like I was, um, or who haven't been paying as close attention. Tell us what happened over the past two days with regard to funding for Iron Dome. Yeah, it's been a very active and uh, crazy, if I may say, uh, couple of days. Uh, as everyone knows, Congress funds the government. It has the power of the purse. And one of the things that uh, Congress does is when it can't agree to an appropriations, the bills that funds the government, it uh, basically, you know, when you write to your teacher and when you're in school, um, you ask for an extension for a paper if something happens and you're running long. So Congress does that all the time. And they do something called a continuing resolution and basically says, we haven't finished our work on the appropriations bills yet, um, but we need to, and we need a little bit more time. So extend uh, the funding a little bit while we work out these issues. And so the continuing resolution uh, was coming to the floor at the beginning of this week. At the same time, um, the at, there was a pledge uh, on behalf of the Biden administration, um, as well as um, uh, the Congress to pass um, additional uh, support for the Iron Dome system uh, after the recent escalations this summer. Um, and so uh, there was a, a, a the, the notion was that it would be passed uh, together with the first appropriations bill that quote unquote moved, right? The first piece of legislation that included funding that would pass the House of Representatives. And so this continuing resolution, which uh, was an appropriations bill, and it continued the funding to make sure the government wouldn't shut down, was the first funding uh, piece of piece of funding legislation that came before the House floor. And so they attached a $1 billion supplemental request to fund Iron Dome after the recent escalation uh, to, that, to that bill. Now, the bill, um, because it had uh, the debt ceiling and a variety of other provisions within it, was a controversial one. Uh, before the Iron Dome was attached. And so uh, it turned out that none of the Republicans in the House of Representatives would be willing to vote for it. Um, and then as soon as the Iron Dome provision was added in, uh, somewhat at the last minute, a number of uh, Democrats, for a variety of reasons that we don't have to speculate about in this fora uh, and have been reported on widely, uh, just you know, threatened not to vote for the continuing resolution um, you know, if, if the Iron Dome funding uh, was included, you know, whether that's ideological or process related, I'll let you read the variety of pundits on the matter. But for whatever reasons, it became clear that they weren't going to be able to fund the government 
um, if they didn't take out this provision funding Iron Dome. I want to be very Hang clear. On, Aaron, this Aaron, I don't want to. Aaron, I don't want to actually. Um, I don't want to zoom past that um, that that question about whether it was ideological or or process. Like, what are the just without without taking a stance as to as to what you think it was. Lay out the two arguments there. What would be the ideological argument and what would be the process argument? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, the process argument is the one um, that basically is, is much more technical. Um, what it says is, you know, just as uh, this continuing resolution was being passed because they hadn't finished doing their work uh, on a number of the appropriations bills, why should we then rush through um, a, a whole variety of funding for the Iron Dome that hadn't gone through um, the normal process of appropriations um, when there wasn't time for offices um, to properly vet the request, to look into the details, and it was being sort of added at the last minute. What I, the, the counter argument to that is that this wasn't new. Um, this request from the government of Israel has been on the books for quite some time, um, but it definitely was not on the radar of offices. So whether or not they should have been paying attention, it was clear they weren't. Um, and so they needed more time in order to properly, um, and also that the fact that this it's much more germane, It's much it, this kind of request doesn't belong in a temporary funding, it doesn't belong sort of an extension, it belongs in the, in the defense appropriations bill, in the bill that funds the rest of uh, Iron Dome funding. And this is the point that I wanted to make just before. I wanted to be very clear, this, this, um, this, this funding that, that was voted on um, is a $1 billion request on top of the normal $500 million that the um, United States gives, uh, well, I should say provides for Iron Dome. So this wasn't, uh, taking it out of the CR, uh, I, we should be very clear, was not in any way defunding Iron Dome. It was simply not providing additional funding on top of the normal funding that is being provided. Uh, the ideological argument um, is um, sort of easier to predict. Uh, it's one that um, you know certain uh, members, uh, the most, uh, uh, some of the some of the members on the on the farthest ends of the Democratic Caucus. Um, didn't believe that uh, in in reaction to uh, the violence that occurred in Gaza that that more money should be sent uh, to Israel, uh, whether it be for offensive or defensive weapons. They were taking a principled ideological stand uh, for for whatever it was worth that that no additional funds should be sent to Israel, regardless for um, its purpose. So those were sort of the two reasons that at least publicly have been discussed. Again, we don't have any confirmation about which one it was or if it was something completely different. Um, but what was clear is there, there was a growing coalition of members who were willing to uh, literally shut down the government over this. Um, and so it became very clear um, that, uh, that that House leadership needed to take out uh, this funding from the CR. Um, what happened so after the, that? So the funding, so so once that once that funding was stripped, there was obviously lots of reporting and commentary about what this meant for U.S. support for Israel and uh, security assistance to Israel. Um, so uh, how did this how did this get resolved? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know uh, the security assistance bucket was never in question. This is all about missile defense, which is technically a different bucket. 
um, and falls under the defense appropriations as opposed to foreign assistance. And so how this got resolved was that there was first a pledge to include this in the final defense appropriations bill, which is one that would probably come to the floor in December. But that still did not quiet the criticism against that was being leveled um, against the Democratic Party. And so uh, Leader Hoyer, the majority leader of the House of Representatives from Maryland, uh, came to the floor, I think it was two days ago at this point, uh, on either Tuesday or Wednesday, it's all started to blur in my mind, honestly, um, and said that he um, pledged to bring the $1 billion supplemental funding for Iron Dome to the floor uh, today, which is Thursday, um, as a standalone bill under suspension, which means that it needs an even higher level and, and, and greater number of members of Congress to pass. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, just a few hours ago, the House of Representatives voted uh, 420 in favor, uh, nine opposed, um, in order uh, to, with two voting present, in order to um, approve. Uh, the funding, the $1 billion supplemental funding for the Iron Dome package. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's a number of conclusions that we can draw from that. You know, it should be noted that of the nine uh, people who voted against, eight were Democrats and one was a Republican. Um, and, uh, you know, it's clear that the all of the hoopla and the panicked frenzy um, that accompanied the headlines over the past 48 hours of the squad taking over the Democratic Party and progressives no wanting to provide missile defense or security assistance to Israel was simply not borne out into hard facts. Um, when it came down to it, um, even some of Israel's harshest critics in the United States Congress uh, voted to provide Israel um, with this defensive weapons system to save Israeli civilian lives. Um, and so uh, when it comes down to it, this was probably one of the greatest showings of support for uh, the state of Israel and for its security in the United States Congress, which came amongst some of its some of the pub greatest public outcry of the waning of such support. You raised the squad, and uh, that raises uh, an interesting question in its own right. There are, uh, <laughs> traditionally, uh, four, four members of the squad, uh, AOC, Rashida Slaib, Ilhan Omar, and Ayanna Presley, and three of them voted no, and one of them voted present. Um, so any, any insights you want to share on why you think AOC, who at least according to reporting, was one of the people who touched off this entire episode by threatening to vote against the continuing resolution. Any sense for why AOC may have voted present on the Iron Dome funding when the other squad members voted no? You know, in this moment, I don't really want to speculate. There's certainly been a lot of conversation in the Twitter sphere about her um, future political ambitions playing into it. Um, I, I've heard some conversation about, um, you know, that, that she has received after votes like this, uh, previously, um, some very serious death threats, um, which is possible that it played into changing her votes, but I, I don't want to speculate because I don't know. Um, I will say that, um, I think that, that you were right to point out that it's very interesting that she broke from the other three which uh, notably 
Um, since uh, I, I think it was two years ago or a year and a half at this point, there was a, a vote on Israel um, in which one of the other members of the squad uh, broke from the other three and got a lot of um, really serious pushback from from the main constituents, uh, from her constituents on that and from people within the progressive movement. So, And since then, they have really voted as a block. So I think it is definitely notable uh, that Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez did break from the other three members. Uh, but also let's remember that there are there was another member voting present and a, a variety of other uh, uh, other members in addition to, to those three who voted no. Um, so it, there was company no matter what position members of the squad took. What are the larger lessons from this episode? Because uh, again, really can't be stressed enough over the last couple of days there has been so much breathless commentary about um what this portends and and what it means for israel and uh, what it means for us israel relations what it means for the democratic party um and obviously you know from if you if you if our listeners can tell already from this conversation much of that if not all of it was overblown but i am wondering uh, if you do have any 30,000 foot takeaways from this episode that may apply going forward. Uh, my 30,000 foot takeaways is that most of the 30,000 foot takeaways are overblown. Exactly. As you said, <laughs> um, wouldn't, that, it, wouldn't that be a 60, wouldn't that be a 60,000 foot takeaway? Fair, fair. Michael Cop, let it be, let the record show that Michael Coplow has yet once again, outsmarted me. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, what I would say is, you know, this, there's a lot of narratives that are floating around, right? The squad is taking over, the progressives are taking over the Democratic Party. They take, you know, Pelosi's taking orders from them. The, the Democratic Party is no longer pro-Israel. We're on a downward spiral. They don't even care about Israel security. But there's some real facts. Like what this provides, what this vote provides is real hard evidence. It's one of the first votes that I can remember that are that is strictly and only with nothing else in the package, with nothing else being considered at the same time, a straight up or down vote on providing Israel with additional missile defense for defensive measures only on Iron Dome that we know saves lives. And when the rubber hit the road, we had 420 members of Congress voting in favor and nine voting against. And that's the reality of the United States Congress. So um, I think, you know, one, one, um, one, one journalist pointed out on Twitter that they can't really think of any other uh, foreign policy issue or necessarily any other issue that gets voted in the, voted on the floor of Congress that passes, you know, 420 to nine. And while there are, are a few that come to mind, there's certainly you know, far. There are certainly very, very few of them. And the fact that something that gets so much attention in the press and is seen as so controversial as Israel is one of those, I think speaks a lot to um, the reality, which is the vast majority of members of Congress, the vast majority of Democrats and the vast majority of Republicans, despite um, the craziness that has come uh, with escalations um, in the region, despite the craziness that's come with the increased polarization and politicization of the Israel issue domestically, despite the craziness of changing administrations um, and peace plans and annexation threats, despite all of that, um, a consensus remains within the Congress that Israel has a right to live 
um, in freedom, prosperity, and security. And that um, despite where people fall on the Israel-Palestinian issue, um, civilian security and civilian right to live free, both Israelis and Palestinians, uh, remains a tenant um, of American foreign policy. All right. Well, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't want to step on on that um, eloquent and, and and fitting ending because uh, I, I certainly could not say it any better myself. Um, when something happens in Congress, Aaron is the the first person I turn to and, and call right away to explain to me what happened. So I'm glad that now uh, Israel Policy Pod listeners get the same benefit that uh, that I get uh, just by working with Aaron. So uh, with that, thank you, Aaron, so much for joining us. Uh, thanks to all our listeners, and we will see you on the next episode of Israel Policy Pod. Thanks, Michael.